What is time, though, Rachel? <laughs> 20,000 feet up, breaking all the lights on the doors. And I ain't seen no ceilings. We came in through the top You're listening to Feminist Killjoys, Ph.D., and our feminism, pop culture, and politics, as discussed by two professional killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today we'll be discussing a hodgepodge of things, including our belated response to Get Out and our response to a recent think piece about white women. And we'll also give you an update on our brief hiatus that is happening after this episode, as well as what will happen upon our return but first, Melody, where can our listeners find us on the internet? In specific places that are very specific. But <laughs> like for, where? Well, let me just tell you. Uh, <laughs> you. You can uh, find us on the iTunes and leave us a review. <laughs> Interesting note about that. I was looking through our iTunes platform, I guess. And when we were like being very sloppy with our episode titles, we titled one called Drake. And so it is automatically the most popular because yep. <laughs> newbie. Pro- okay. Well, hashtag yep. newbies, uh, noobs. Yep. Follow- you can subscribe there or your favorite podcast channel and then leave us a review, please, on iTunes. That would be most helpful. You can follow us on Instagram. I'm sure there's wonderful things going on over in that land. We have uh, two Facebook formats. You can like us at Feminist Killjoys PhD uh, to stay updated on our episodes. We also have a community page, which is called Feminist Killjoys Community Dash WTF Power. And that is a closed group where you can talk about anything Feminist Killjoy related. We'd love to have you there as well. Uh, We have a Twitter account. FKJ underscore PhD. And you can check out our mixtape on Spotify. Although I have been doing a rogue mixtape suggestion list on Twitter. But you know, the real deals on Spotify with Rachel. And lastly, if you have any extra dollars and want to support feminist media laborers, you can do so via our website, which is feministkilljoyspodcast.com. And you can click on the birdie. We also have a Patreon account where you can leave a monthly micro donation. And lastly, times two, we have an email address, fkj.phd at gmail.com. Take it away, Rachel. That was a really great overview, Melody. Um, I just want to do some follow-ups on that overview. Uh, One, I just really like that one of the, there was a really good thread in our FKJ FB community about women identified people going to mechanics and how shitty and awful it can usually be. And it was a really good discussion and there was some follow up. So that's the kind of stuff you're missing if you're not part of the community page. Also, just special shout out. I think we have a couple new donations. The one that I'm remembering without being on our page is a friend of the podcast, Dr. Mish Zimdars, uh, just supported us via Patreon. Thank you so much for your generous contribution. We'll talk about this a little bit more later, but uh, real quick about Patreon, if you do end up subscribing to us or supporting us rather, even just a dollar a month will get you access to a newsletter, which we'll talk about more later, but that's a plug for that. And uh, that's great. 
I were you asking how I was doing? I just said, take it away, Rachel. I like how John was like, and take us to commercial, Rachel, or break it down, Rachel. Right. I was just stealing his right. funny thing. I could ask you how you're doing. How are you doing, Rachel? <laughs> I am. I am a okay. I am. I think I'm moving into the acceptance phase of the fact that I. Uh, do not have an offer for an academic job in the fall. And that's a hard that's a hard thing to not be really devastated by. But I've been through this stage of devastation. And I think I'm moving into acceptance and I'm starting to get excited about some of the the things that not having that kind of job will allow me space for. So working through some feelings about that. And uh, uh, last weekend, after we recorded, I went to a black and pink meeting. And that was really great. And we um, took home some letters, basically, um, inmates who are part of black and pink, submit articles of a variety of topics to the newsletter that black and pink creates for prisoners. And so um, one of the jobs of volunteers is to type up the the articles. So some of what we did last week, and this week was typing up letter submissions from inmates. So it's always powerful and interesting. And, um, you know, sometimes funny, and sometimes very smart, and all of, all of the different things that happen when you're reading letters from people behind bars. So doing that. Can you remind listeners what Black and Pink is? Black and Pink is an LGBTQ prison abolition organization that has members from both the inside and the outside of prison walls, um, working in an effort to create a world without prisons and in the meantime, support uh, in a variety of ways, LGBTQ members who are incarcerated. And another thing related to them is that they're uh, sort of co-sponsoring the premiere of the Free CC documentary, the premiere in Boston, I think, anyway, which hey. is, yeah. Have you had a chance to see the film yet? No, I haven't because the it gets, well, because CeCe McDonald, that situation that happened, happened in Minneapolis. And right. Despite that, there's screenings every once in a while, but they sell out before I can even get my hands on Got tickets, it. which just happened recently to me. So, no, okay. I pro- I see Cece around more than I have that I seen a movie. Yeah, than <laughs> right. I've seen the documentary. I've, right, which is uh, I'm very grateful for that. But uh, no, I have not seen it. Have you seen it? No, this will be my first time. Oh, tonight. I'm so excited so. and jealous. Yeah, and she's gonna be she's gonna be in town as well, so she'll be at the premiere too. So, yeah. So, um, those of you who don't know the story of Cece McDonald, so Cece McDonald is a black transgender woman who was in an altercation trying to defend herself against a white supremacist, transphobic, cis-sexist, homophobic man, and. Uh, in that altercation, which involved a number of people, this man was stabbed and killed. And because we live in a world that doesn't um, value trans many lives, including black lives, including trans lives, and especially trans women of color lives, CC was um, put in put in prison for defending herself and for being accused of of uh, killing this man. So um, she is free now, as Melody mentioned. She's out and about in Minneapolis, does tours about uh, not just her story, but also just the amazing sort of political activist work that she's continued since um, being released. And uh, the documentary is about her story and uh, Laverne Cox produced it and and is in it. So it should be good. Cece's case to me encapsulates so many of the harsh injustices that trans women of color face in this country. Cece was just walking down the street 
with a group of her friends minding her own business. Something about that day just was like not sitting right with me. She was met with harassment. I just started hearing faggots and you niggers and this and that and I'm like oh my gosh please let's just please go. And this, this story touches me so much because I have been CC. I have been walking down the street just minding my own business. People were like driving in the street, like hopping out of their cars and stuff and like challenging us. And so often when trans women are attacked in these situations, they don't survive. I just feel the blood all over my face and I look down, I see blood all over my clothes, I see blood all over my hands. I just remember like looking up and seeing Dean and him having this like the most evilest just it was just so scary. And I'm walking backwards. I never once stopped. He's like, angry man, like, jogging towards me. And I'm like, oh my gosh. But Cece did survive. And her, her gift for survival is a prison sentence when she was just defending herself. doing okay. I had a couple of anxiety producing moments at school that are rooted in not even our administration, but it was one of those moments where I started catching myself getting more and more anxious. And I started saying, mm -hmm. okay, Melody, how are you going to get rid of this anxiety? And it's been very difficult because I'm in the group of people that want to fight back. And so I get emails and people, you know, meet with me to determine like how we're going to fix X problem. But I've been at least more aware that I've been getting anxious and trying to tamp it down. Even if it's just by like 1%, at least I'm aware and not letting it spiral out of control. So work sometimes can out of the blue just create anxiety. And so I just have to be mindful of that. But one pro of my work life right now is that the student government had an election for next year and the student body elected to African-American people, to African-American men who... Awesome. Yes. One of them rides the bus with me, so Elijah, which I'm like, he's great. And then I do not know how to pronounce the other person's name, so I'm going to wait until I know that. But the one time that I, w I... I've had multiple conversations with them, but one of them was during a student club meeting in which they were asking to change the Black Student Union club name to Pan-Africanism. And for those who aren't Super familiar. A lot of like Pan-Africanism literature and theory is rooted in like Black nationalism. And Mel sometimes if you search that, you'll see like Malcolm X and other Black nationalists pop up. And mm -hmm. so I am personally That's very rad. stoked on that. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Uh, the student government at my school has been problematic in the past, which are the student newspaper that I'm in charge of. We talk about it. Um, we report on it, actually. I'm very proud of my students for doing that. Yeah. So I'm really stoked to see what happens uh, with them being in charge. And what was sad, though, is that I asked my students if they voted and they said, no, but we got like 20 emails about it. Mm. And <laughs> we found mm. out some stuff about our previous student government president that was shady AF, super mm. shady AF. And I'm going to come back to them next week and say, look at like, because people weren't because you don't care. This is what happened 
to our student government for two years, like imagine what they could have done for you in the last two years if yeah. you know, these people weren't in power. So I'm going to have, you know, I have a lecture for them. And so but also like this is what happens on on any side of the spectrum in terms of getting people into office. If people aren't paying attention, you can take advantage yeah. of that no matter whose side you're on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So in this case, it's working to some people's benefit. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to get some numbers from our school about how many people actually voted. But I really do not like my students' attitude of, no, we didn't vote. And they rolled their eyes at me when I asked. Yeah. Yeah, that's a bummer. So that's something else that I need to talk to them about. But otherwise, uh, today I already had a really nice morning. I weeded in the garden. It's very nice here. So I got rid of all the kind of dead. Well, we didn't rake. So I kind of pulled up the dead leaves so to reveal like some very nutritious soil and I listened to a podcast which I'll talk about later also Rachel I have a question for you as part of my Mm check-in how do you secure your iPhone when you're like walking around listening to podcasts because it kept falling out of my hoodie pocket and it sucked I hold it in my hand when I'm I mean it's if I'm walking with it I'm usually only walking. I'm what not is, oh, like Oh, so you don't weeding. have like an armband or anything? Like if you're weeding no. outside or doing the dishes or... I put the phone on the counter if I'm doing the dishes listening to a podcast and I hold it in my hand if I'm walking or put it in my pocket. Um, I don't have an armband or anything. I think I need to get one. Because like when I'm weeding uh, outside, yeah. I can't yeah. put it on the ground because I'm moving or when I'm doing the dishes. This sounds like a listener question. Okay, listeners, please help me. I also need another help. I um, Please help me find... <laughs> a pl- I need another help. I need another help. <laughs> Where do I find decent prints of digital photography? As in, I go to Target and I print the damn photos and they look like utter shit, even though they're like directly from my phone. Hmm. And yeah, I, I, I mean, no I'll be curious to hear what people say, because I'm wondering if that's just the phone and not the print. You know, I have like, an do you need a better camera? I have the best. Yeah. No, no, no. I am very sure that it is. The printer. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, let us know. Listeners. I can't get much. I understand that, but I don't have my shitty phone anymore. I actually have a nice phone with a nice mm-hmm. camera. And they'll say, print, you know, shot on an iPhone 6. And I'll say, well, that's not what it looks like when I print it out. You know, it right. looks like that on my right. screen. So how does it go from right. the screen? Like if I zoom up, there's no pixels, but the minute it gets printed. Yeah. Please, somebody, I will pay a lot of money for decent prints. And I have a feeling that there's probably not much business for it because everybody likes to keep their photos electronic and I'm the one that likes to print things out and put them in photo books. Yeah. But if anybody That's also true. Okay. Yeah, let us know. Okay. Last check-in is I'm going to be in Boston next weekend. I'm so excited. I'm packing foam for Rachel's studio. Yeah, so hopefully my sound quality will improve. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. You're going to be in town for a conference, but you're going to make time to hang out with me, and you're going to stay with me. And it's going to be fantastic, and I'm so excited. We can post some social meds stuff since we're not recording. Totally. Vids and pics and tweets and stuff. Totes. Stay tuned for that. Uh, Moving on. So today we're just doing like a hodgepodge of things. We're going to talk about Get Out and this cool thing piece that kind of connects to it and then riff off of it with Rachel's. I wish there was a theme song for Get Out, but there's not. Scary instrumental music. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, so we're like obviously a little bit late in terms of when you're supposed to talk about new pop culture things. I have I have an excuse for us though. Tell we me. wait because it's a black film and we can oh, right. just like lemonade we waited because totally. like why would we Yeah, so our opinions as white ladies as usual maybe about whatever things but particularly about, you know, black art is not as important as other people's opinions. But if you care, if you want to (laughs) know, here we are. (laughs) So where do you want to start about this film? And again, for those of you who haven't seen it or don't know about it, it's the Jordan Peele film horror movie that the monster is really white supremacy incarnate in a particular way that I won't spoil. And it centers around the two main characters are are a black man and a white woman who are in, in an interracial relationship. And uh, that's all we'll say. If you don't want it ruined to just I will in the show description tell you exactly what minute we pick back up on not get out stuff. And so if you want to fast forward, just look on the show notes um, on your podcast. We're going to we're going to spoil it. And I'll I'll say what minute to fast forward to. And it'll be a safe minute where it's not like we're just transitioning out. So but please stop now if you don't want to know what happens. In general, we both liked it. So we'll just remind people that we both really, really appreciated it. I think one of the the overarching things that I mentioned last week was the concept of a film that asked the audience to cheer for the black people for killing all the white people is like a rare narrative in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And it was distributed by Universal. And so they clearly backed it uh, financially. I just wanted to lift that up in terms of a rarity that audiences get to cheer on the dead white people. And so I found, I still find that to be very significant beyond the amazing things. I was just talking to a uh, to Dr. Rose Brewer, who is a professor. Oh, he's still my my heart are you familiar i'm a fan i'm a big fan yeah yeah, i had her i had her for a class and she's also just like a scholar activist and is a revolutionary rad activist as well right so we were talking in her office yesterday about get out and she brought up one who flew over the cuckoo's nest and she was that was like what she noticed was the connections with the lobotomies that were very common in the 50s, I want to say. So I thought that was interesting, especially because I was mentioning, and this is a maybe a question for you, Rachel, or the listeners, but what it what the symbolism was behind the black people who had lobotomies, they were very much 1950s, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. And what about the lobotomy right. made them go back to that time? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good question. And also the video that we see, sort of the beginning of this yeah. project, appeared appeared to be kind of in that well it would have been a little later no it would have been the 80s i guess no the Um, the video when he's down in the basement yeah i think that would have been the 80s because the kid because rose had been born at that point oh that one i thought you well when he's getting when he's really fucked and he's down in the basement locked up and they give him that preview i thought there was definitely 1950s themes to it like the, but Rose, the Rose and the brother were born in that video of the family, though, because they're waving outside of the house. Right. Remember? Yeah, I do. So it wouldn't it would have been the 80s. But the 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 root of this that we're supposed to believe that the grandfather who we only see in this video is so angry because he didn't win the Olympics. That would have been around the 50s, right? The 40s, maybe. The correct answer is 1936. That is a nod to the fact that this man, and this is why I think it's so, when we, when I first walked out of the theaters, I said to Logan, you know, part of me feels like 
I was reading reviews that this was a film attacking the horror and the violence of white liberalism. And although we certainly saw the family behave as quote unquote liberals around race issues Mm -hmm. prior to them evilness being revealed, their racism wasn't subtle. It was overt, right? I mean, they were literally like kidnapping and, you know, non-consensually operating on, on black bodies just felt like that. That's an example of overt racism. That's actually not quite a critique of liberalism. And Logan's response to that was that they were doing that because they like valued black parts of blackness so much, which is like the liberal thing, right? It's like, oh, no, no, like, it's not racist, because we like, really appreciate you. And we like, love your music, and we love your athletic skills. And we love your like, we are appreciating all this. So it can't be overtly racist. And that's why they were doing these surgeries is to try to steal what they valued about blackness, which is kind of a liberal move, right? To be like, no, no, I can't be racist because I really like Jay-Z and I think Michael Jordan is the greatest athlete of all time and et cetera. It's also very stereotypical, too. This They're pulling, they want the stereotypes out of black people, which is what of white, course. white of liberals course, do. Of course. Except what's interesting about that is that our, our protagonist is a photographer, which isn't something that's necessarily culturally linked to blackness. That's a good um, point. He was very he wasn't whitewashed by any means, but he definitely didn't have he didn't he didn't speak back to a lot of African-American culture besides just being very aware of racism in our society. I have a clarifying question because I don't think I got this smart connection. This whole operation thing started because his grandpa was pissed or her grandpa was pissed that he lost he lost the Olympics to a black man. Yeah. Is that basically the justification? For I mean, it? see that scene where Bradley Woodford is like, yeah, this is my father. Mm-hmm. He lost to the black guy who won in the Olympics during Hitler's time. But he was like, what an amazing moment. And Chris was like, yeah, it was an amazing moment. It sucks for your dad, though. And Bradley Woodford was like, yeah, and he almost got over it. And him not getting over it was Led deciding to. to. Yeah. Yeah. Dang, I did not make that connection. I forgot about that. I was so f- I was so scared by the time he was down in the basement <laughs> that I was forgetting all the smart connections. So yeah, yeah. All of that is to say that the, surely the grandfather wanted to live in a world where black people were weren't a competition to him, and they were acquiescent and subservient. And if they couldn't be that, you know, he basically was like, okay, t- times are changing. That's not the reality we live in. This person beat me in the Olympics. So therefore, I'm just going to try to steal their their what I perceive to be their talents and their skills and their et cetera, et cetera, instead of trying to like, turn back time, which I guess is all which is what Logan's point was like, that's the liberal move, right? Like, that's the like, look, we're being progressive where we like we're no we know we're never going to go back to like the era of, you know, when black people weren't allowed to participate in the Olympics. So why don't we just do this thing that is about appreciating them? Obviously not okay, but... Speaking of white people, Rachel, can I ask you another clarifying question? hmm What was the milk scene? You referenced that last week, and I still cannot remember what you were talking about. Oh, that's when she's sitting... So uh, Chris, they, they knock Chris out. The brother knocks Chris unconscious. He gets put in the basement, and... Upstairs, well, basically Chris is resisting and murdering everybody down. Well, you know, yeah. in defense, killing everybody downstairs. Oh, the cereal with the cereal. The fruit. cereal and the yeah. scene. That's people's favorite yeah. scene. People like that because they think that it's like 
epically terrifying that this like sociopath monster is listening to dirty dancing while she sips milk and people also read a lot into the um she separates the like the colors of the fruit loops from the white milk that that was a also like a uh, discussion about racism jordan i heard jordan peele in an interview he said that actually was not his motivation behind that but people, you know, that was something people wanted to, you know, were reading into that. So, and and, and it is like a, it's like an eerie, funny scene, right? Because like the juxtaposition of the Dirty Dancing soundtrack of Allison Williams as she's looking up her next boyfriend, you know, her next mm-hmm. conquest. She's looking up basketball, you know, people who are slated to be in the NBA who are going to, who are getting scouted so that she can find that person to bring home for whatever athletic prowess they want from that person's brain or whatever. So you were talking about how Logan and you were making, obviously making connections to white liberalism in some Mm -hmm. ways. Was Peel not making this movie just as like a a giant LOL at the, the joke that black people make about never going home with white people. And they, he actually took it to that lip, took it there and like showed not a fear. Like it's a, it's like a, we always joke about, what white people are going to do to us if we if they take us to their parents' house, and this is actually what happens. Yeah, do you think? I mean, I'm sure totally. Okay. I mean, and they and the interview that I listened to with him on an, on another round, which is one of my favorite podcasts. He, yeah, definitely mentioned that he's actually married to a white woman. the The daughter of the owner of BuzzFeed is his is his wife. Um, so yeah, I mean, they definitely talked about, and it was you know three black people having a conversation about the the fear of whether it's a partner or a, a friend, a white friend, like needing to know like uh like we see the scene where he's like the very first scene of the movie and again he's such a good actor like um the scene where he's like do they know do they know I'm black everybody on the interview that I was listening to was like uh-huh every time you meet a white person's family like you want to know because they talked about waiting for that moment of the look on the face that they see on white people's faces when they aren't expecting a black person. And I wouldn't even call what Chris went through at that house microaggressions. That was just like overt fucking racist shit that people were saying about like peanut penis size and all the bullshit they were talking about, whether it's overt like that or more subtle microaggressions. Obviously that's a thing uh, that that black people experience in white spaces, which would be a great transition to the think piece you want to talk about. But can we talk about a couple other things from the movie before we get to that? Totally. (laughs) One of Logan and my favorite parts also was when Chris is looking at the photographs, discovers the photographs of Regina's uh, roses, former conquest. We see dozens of black men that she's taking like romantic selfies with. And then we see a picture of her with Regina, who is the, the sort of housekeeper. We see Rose, she's wearing like a red bandana in her hair and Regina has like natural hair and is wearing like a leather jacket and they're posing in this like cute selfie together. And Logan and I like looked at each other and we were like, oh my gosh, they had a queer relationship. Mm -hmm. Like she brought a girlfriend home. And then we were listening to um, Pop Culture Happy Hour is a podcast that we listen to that talks about pop culture. And they were saying, they literally said, you know, we see the box of photos that's a mix that it's, you know, Regina's former boyfriends. Well, and friends, also friends. And and then they just kept talking as though. <gasps> they erased yeah, it. Oh, my God. They totally oh erased God. the queerness. Oh, my God. And I was like, Stop. and there was one. I know there is one gay man on that on that podcast. So, I, you know, whatever gay men, I don't they can be hit or miss whether or not they're going to recognize and validate queer lady identities. But the fact that they 
were just gonna like, oh yeah, and her friend Regina, like her friend Regina. Mm. Like, no, they were fucking uh, queer AF together. And again, like Allison Williams's character was doing this totally as a, as a stunt. So whether or not she right. was like having queer desire or not is sort of also not the point, but like to not be able to recognize that that could have been a queer relationship is just like so fucking ridiculous. Oh, I keep saying Regina, it's Georgina. Um, Logan just texted me from another room because he hears me talking. <laughs> I was going to correct you too, but I just... <laughs> yeah, Georgina, Georgina, thank you. It's just so ridiculous that straight people are just like, oh, it's her friend. It's like, no, 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 no. No, you idiot. Yeah. God, what's wrong with people? Yeah. Another thing about Regina or Georgina is uh, <laughs> when she gets hit by the car and then Chris has to take her into the car and then she wakes up because she's a zombie and says... You ruined my perfect life. Do you remember yeah. that? Before the car yeah. crashed? Oh, she caused yeah. the car crash. And like, yeah. what is that? Because she was super angry, right? But so I love that character because you could see her breaking. Like, it seemed yep. like her lobotomy like wasn't fully done. You know what? I read the most, and this is why we waited, because I read some good think pieces. I read an article by a black woman about that scene. And it took both of the men that broke it took that flash of the mm -hmm, camera. Mm -hmm. And for Georgina, she didn't need a camera flash to have a set, you know, to have some some semblance of her, her true self to come back. And there was this writer and we'll link her in the show notes so that because I'm not gonna, I don't remember her name. Um, but I want to give her credit, uh, who said that's because of like, black womanhood survival is like, so much more powerful than I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm summarizing in like a really shallow yeah. way, but basically there's something special and about her as a black woman that she was able to, to come back without needing that camera flash. Um, so I'll, we'll link to that article cause it was a really interesting analysis because you're right. Like we saw her come to her old self a little bit in that scene in the bedroom. And I think is, is your question like, so then what part of her brain was yelling at him? Is that yeah. what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's unclear. Like, is she saying you ruined my life and took me from, I had this nice fake existence when I was like this Stepford maid and, or was she saying you stole my girlfriend Rose or oh, was she, you know, I didn't think about that part. But then also I was wondering too, like about the perfect life, some commentary of like, if she was coming to, like, knowing that she would have to go back to this, like, really racist, you know, like, so let's just say she came to and had to, like, go back into the world that, like, she's going to have to face this, like, awful, awful world. And she could at least pretend that it didn't exist or her brain mm -hmm. told her that right. it didn't exist in this house. Right. Yeah. Where. Yeah, that's totally interesting, too, which is another way that the white liberal family probably thought they were being, like, helpful. Right. It's like. You don't have to remember what it feels like to be the victim of racism because we're going to steal the part of your brain that understands it. Yeah, I think it's a really fascinating scene and I'd love to know people's opinions. Maybe we can start a thread on the FB group for those people who have seen it. It's a good question. So last point of commentary that I really want to talk about is the TSA thing about yeah. Rod being a TSA agent. Yeah. What are your thoughts on it? I rolled my eyes because I was Same. like, oh, isn't this convenient way to make the TSA seem like not totally assholes yep. and yep. you know although he did exploit his power at the tsa to solve to save another black man agreed at the um end. and we do get to see at least a little bit like fuck the police a little bit because he actually goes to the police 
mm-hmm. and they don't help him. They don't care. But yeah, I didn't like it. The first the first scene we meet him, he's like making a joke about who's going to be a terrorist and like how important it is that he needs to stop this potential old lady terrorist. That's right. Yeah. And I was just like, I'm not here for this. Like I, why? I and wonder, did, did Peel talk about that at all in the interview? No, no, didn't come up. I'm just wondering if it was because the MPAA is a bunch of bullshit in terms of the ratings. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they have you make these really odd changes. And so I wonder if he had more of a like maybe he worked for the NSA or another convenient job where he would have access to yeah. data if they wanted him to soften it up. And say, yeah. okay, well, what if we did it? But that doesn't, but see now my, maybe it's not the MPAA, but it was whoever was funding some of this film because by the time the MPAA sees it, the film is done. So mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, because these are the things that we never hear about until years later when it's not, it won't impact the film at all. Right. At, at these points, I'm a little hesitant to like put it on peel, although we're putting everything else on him in the good way, in a good way is like, I right. could see them having to adjust that character so there was a little bit, so everything wasn't so counter-hegemonic, because the whole film is. Right. Sort of related to that, Logan said, you know, he had to have this, like, emergency vehicle in order to, like, get there quickly. So he needed to have access to, like, a cop car. And so at least he wasn't a cop, that it was, like, this TSA car with flashing lights. And then that also created that really, really fucking intense and kind of traumatic moment right. when you see the you see the cop car lights and... It, Everybody in the audience, surely, at, at least probably all the black people, I'm guessing, and hopefully most woke white people are like, fuck, if it's the cop, yeah, he's, he's going to be he's fucked. He's completely fucked. And maybe he still is fucked, given the fact that somebody's going to have to explain what happened in that situation. And we don't know. But so could you know, his friend wouldn't be able to drive up in like a normal car. And that that dramatic moment sort of would wouldn't wouldn't happen. I think you have an interesting theory it's unclear why, you know, it's also quite possible that Jordan Peele doesn't have a radical critique of the TSA, which is also a very real possibility. And like, no you know, way you have seen Key and Peele. There is no way. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. You're right. You're right. He should. He I'm knows. curious about that. I'm going to. Yeah. If anybody sees a interview question about that. <sighs> I also got to tell Dr. Brewer about Key and Peele. She wasn't familiar. She's like, where, does, oh, cool. where did he come from? I'm like, oh my God, I'm sending you some links because cool, you need cool. to know yeah. Key and Peele. So I'm going to yeah. send her Black Ice, which is the Minnesota one where, so like Black Ice, how come it's like a winter storm, like it's a white, you know, snow right. and then <laughs> right. snow is so beautiful and then Black Ice is like dangerous and you can't see right. it and it's going to like come out of nowhere and then the angry Obama right. thing. Is oh, there, yeah, that's good. Is there another yeah, one you that should, I should send her? You should send the one where um, it's like an alien invasion and the world is ending and they have to figure out who's an alien and who's not an alien. And <sighs> white people who are like the only white people they can let live are the white people who are kind of like fucking terrible. Like <laughs> like there's this guy who's hands him his car keys. He's like, guys, the things are crazy here, but we'll hear, will you park my car? Because he thinks like the black people are valet and they're like, oh, God damn it, we got to. And like a white woman who's like, I like Jay-Z. And they're like, fuck, all right, you can live. But then like the white alien, the people who are actually aliens are like, what, whatever, like trying to be like more woke or whatever. And they know that they're aliens. Oh. Yeah. 
it's funny. That's a good one. Too. It's really funny. Okay. Yeah. I love you, Key and Peele. Are they still making the show or are they kind of done? I have absolutely, I actually don't know. I don't watch it in real time or anything. I so either. I just see clips. Yeah. I don't Hashtag know. Hashtag millennial. It's true. So related to white folk, mm-hmm. tell us about this article that you tweeted out from uh, the, the amazing collective Philadelphia Printworks, which makes badass merchandise. And also now has a website with articles and um, a newsletter. And I recommend everybody go to Philly Printworks and check them out. But tell us about the think piece. Before I do, I would like to I would like to say that I did order the Black Panthers hoodie with the free awesome. lunch pro- free food program. Awesome! Oh, I'm so excited to wear it because yeah. It's going to be this awesome, like certain people are going to know it, you know, you know, when Mm -hmm. I don't know if you have any clothes like that, but I haven't had clothes like this in a while where like you wear it and only certain people like kind of know what it means. And yeah, it's like the secret, secret black nationalist club. Okay. I'm, (laughs) I'm a black nationalist apparently as a white person. I just really appreciate their theories. Anyways, um, speaking of white ladies, speaking of white ladies, uh, there was this awesome, I will definitely like. Well, it's already on Twitter, but it was written by Miles E. Johnson, and it's basically about how horrifying white women are, and they use Get Out as a prime example of the horror of the white woman, which I thought was super smart. And so can I just read a few lines? Yeah, that please. Are, that are connected to media. So, okay. So, white women are horrifying, Miles says. Anyone who has seen Get Out is at least mildly aware of the anxiety around the white woman who decides to weaponize the frail and vulnerable space she takes up in the white supremacist patriarchal imagination in order to annihilate the spaces and bodies of others. And then they continue to talk about a few other moments within the media landscape where white women have taken it upon themselves to kind of police black culture in a way that the white woman sees as woke, but that the black person sees as really problematic. So one example was some white woman was calling Van Jones a CNN house Negro basically an Uncle Tom for CNN. And he and Miles had some response to that. But the one that kind of spoke more to Rachel and I's interest is through music and Drake, actually. So Lily Allen, who is a pop star, a white pop star, who's had very problematic representations of hip hop culture in previous work. She told she she like critiqued Drake for not having any black woman women on his album. And so what Miles said was, I was shocked to observe the reach of Lily Allen's arrogance when she pushed Drake on not having women featured on on his album. Of course, I love a critical moment, but I was astonished by who was delivering it. Whiteness has no role policing black art production because whiteness's own musical productions wouldn't be possible without blackness. Policing black artists is like making up the rules of a game you had no hand in creating. Yeah. Booyah. Which I'm guilty of. I do that. You know, we sit here and we're like, well, Drake is problematic because ABC. But forgetting that we owe the white the white man's music owes everything to the black man's music, such as rock and roll, for example. So I, I like that. Do you have any thoughts on that, Rachel? Yeah. I mean, just that I feel really implicated. And, you know, I think articles like these are always, you know, it's not it's this hard line that I think attempting to be woke white folks and accomplices, et cetera, try to walk in terms of like being in solidarity and not wallowing in guilt to the point of never speaking or never doing anything ever. 
and being self-aware and being self-reflexive and all of these things. So it's not like it didn't dawn on me that when we had a whole, I mean, we, we talked about it, like we made jokes about it, like, Oh, we're two white people talking about Drake. Oh, I'm like, LOL. And so we're like self-aware and yet we still do it. And so I feel, you know, I feel genuinely implicated in, in this critique. I'd love you to read the last paragraph in terms of the two options that, that you can do. Yeah. I just feel implicated. I mean, that's all, that's all I'll say. And I think, but that implication then makes me feel guilty. And then that makes me feel like I never want to do anything ever. And I'm not positive that that's like the best way to go about this either. And I think the slight difference between us and Lily Allen, if I may uh, try to split some hairs about this is that we don't have the platform that Lily Allen has. We're not suggesting, we're not trying to force any anybody to listen to this that doesn't want to listen to this podcast. We're not trying to insert this podcast like in black spaces and in any intentional like overt way. So I, I feel like that's a tiny difference. I don't know. Right, because she is a music artist. Right. And she was critiquing Drake, but a lot of her art form is stolen from black hip-hop culture. I don't know that we, like, profit off of black culture in the same way. I don't think so. Yeah, and so... I mean, certainly not in the same way in terms of the amount of money that she makes. And if you want to count, like, us talking about hip-hop on the podcast and the fact that we have some people who give us Patreon donations, maybe, like, a couple dollars has gone to us because we talked about black folks. I don't know. You're splitting, like, a really minuscule hair. I, like, can't even yeah. see it anymore. So I think we're okay. <laughs> In terms of what Miles was saying is the two options for white women, it's this. It's either to carry a radical, critical awareness in everywhere you find and don't find yourself or mind your business. So us actually mm-hmm. splitting hairs about it is this ra- radical, critical awareness that they're talking about. So either we do mind our own business and don't talk about black media at all, or when we do, we are critically aware all the time which is something that we choose to do. And obviously that's why we're talking about this article in the first place instead of just kindly ignoring it and not bringing it to the forefront. It's really, it's hard. When they say the most jarring invention that white supremacy has produced is the white woman, unquote, which reminds me of MLK's often forgotten quote about how the most, he said this in the letter from Birmingham jail, that the most dangerous white person is actually the white moderate and not the white racist because... Mm -hmm. I think it's the same with the white woman is that we are like smiley and like, oh, we, you know, I, I like Jay-Z. And but it's actually that's the most dangerous because yeah. we're hiding so much behind our smiles. Whereas the overt, overt racist, like at least, you know, what you're getting yourself into in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really tricky. I was also listening to a podcast this week that I listened to the struggle bus and the two hosts of that show are really down on like, like ally performance. So like performing allyship by there, there, they even push back against calling yourself a feminist or an anti-racist because of just like the performance of it. And I was just doing some self-reflection about what it means when I make jokes about white people, but it's like, okay, but Rachel, obviously you're a white person. And like, are you just trying to sound woker than thou and blah, blah, blah. So I don't know. It's a fine line between like self being like radically self-critical and doing that in a way that isn't purely ally performance. And, you know, so I don't know. So sometimes it feels like minding your own business is actually the best, but Again, I also think it's about platform and reach and like this is our podcast. In terms of labeling, you know, who you are and 
what we do. I kind of bristled a little bit when they're like, don't say you're a feminist. I was like, that's my like prime identity. I'm not going to say that yeah. I'm not, you know, but I get it in right. terms of, especially with the anti-racism thing. It, I probably have never told any of my students I'm anti-racist, but they just picked it up. The president of the Muslim Student Association stopped me in the hallway and he's like, are you Melody? And I said, yeah. And he said, we're having Islam Awareness Week. Can I send you the flyer and you can tell your students? I'm like, sure. But I've never met him. So just word got yeah. around that I'm like, that I support and, you know, right. talk about Islam openly as a religion that should be respected and not stereotyped. So I don't, So yeah. especially in yeah. that way, I feel like I've been really toning down like my identity in that way. It's just, you, you right. know, you get a reputation. You can tell like when people talk to you, I think white people, especially woke white people, they try too hard and myself included. Yeah. We just try too hard to make a connection. But I've realized if I'm just myself and I just say, yeah. you know, it works out so much better because I've spent a lot of time thinking and acting in a way that is desperately trying to say to people like, I'm your friend, I will help you. I'm on your side. Please know that. And it hasn't worked as well as just striking up a regular old conversation. Right, 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 right. It's not like, let's talk about racism. You're a black person working at the school. Let us discuss that. Instead, you just don't make them feel invisible, which is how they feel in In white spaces, in white spaces, such as my place of employment. Just to finish that anecdote real quick. So this black guy was coming out of the kitchen at school and he was shaking his head and he filled up his Coke. And I like just kind of timed my body so that we'd pass each other. I said, not having a good day. And he's like, how'd you how could you tell? It's like you shuck your head. And I've worked in the restaurant industry. And then he's like, yes. And then he just like start you know we start talking turns out he grew up two blocks away from the house that i'm living in now oh wow that's so what a small world i know and he actually lost (laughs) his restaurant to um a tornado that went through the side yeah uh that sucks yeah we are uh pretty much out of time for today we'll have some time for rwl of course now that i got us off on some really weird tangent um (laughs) do you have some yeah totally finishing nope so we are gonna go on a tiny hiatus just a short one it is our 50th episode happy golden anniversary to us or whatever 50 means i don't know what that stands for okay no we'll just go (laughs) cool yep happy golden birthday also right (laughs) Um, and that's not how it works. We did miss our one year birthday. Like we started in March of 2016. So we, we are celebrating a year, celebrating 50 episodes. We want to sort of just pause at this wonderful milestone and reset a little bit. I want to figure out my sound issues. Um, Melody always sounds much better now that she has the padding. So I want to, uh, sound issues. Tampax. We want to, <laughs> um, it's just like pads. It's just like actual menstrual pads. <laughs> All over the heavy, this <laughs> heavy flow days. I have them posted LOL. all over. So yeah, we want to pause. We want to reset. We've gotten a lot of good feedback about the days that we sort of do more like mini lectures, and so we want to do get back to preparing a lot of research to present to you all in ways that that are enjoyable and good, solid, concise, tight hours. So we just want to reset, make episodes that are even stronger that you all will enjoy more. And um, and we're really excited to do, to do that. I'm going to start working on something in the meantime. Mel, do you want to say anything else about the hiatus before I get into the newsletter? I would say to just keep an eye. We're not going to go totally silent on the meads, on the social. So just keep an eye on, on Twitter. Like, we'll be posting stuff. I'll probably post some like random video rants. And we're not going to be totally gone. But just in terms of this format... 
just for like a few weeks, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I still have not released David's interview. Like I said, I was going to do like five times. <laughs> I owe people postcards. Uh, so it, it's just a, a time for us to catch up because we yep. work all week. And this is not a complaint. I'm not complaining, but that we work all week and then we do the podcast and then our my free time is spent editing and, and it's just getting hard to I need to catch up on some stuff FKJ related I feel like I'm letting listeners down in ways that I've said I was going to do XYZ and then I don't do it and it's just it's time it's just a time thing and we're yeah in the we're getting to the end of our semesters where it's going to get really crazy and then really so, bananas oh my god I'm getting much better <laughs> at that but yes thank you yeah. bananas it's going to get bananas it's going to get wild I will um, take this time off also to catch up on all the thank you notes that I owe some people and we will just communicate in other avenues. So yeah, yeah we're not going to yeah. totally go away. No, and it and it'll be great. And we're really excited that we're going to get to be in person to sort of replan, and maybe we can do some like mapping on poster board on a wall or something really cool. Cool, because we'll be IRL. And then also, as I mentioned earlier, I'm really excited about this partly because for like my own mental health to have a project to help like, me do things that now that I'm not going to be planning syllabi, although I might if I pick up some adjunct jobs, but I, I am excited about starting this newsletter. Like I said, anybody who's a subscriber on Patreon will receive the newsletter um, probably right when the episodes start up. I'm going to take these next few weeks to figure out the best format. Um, if any of you have advice or ideas on what uh, newsletter templates or programs to use that you have liked, let me know. And I got some really good ideas on the Facebook group about what people wanted to have included in the newsletter. Um, if you have any more ideas and you didn't voice your opinion on that Facebook thread, jump on there or contact us in another way. And yeah, I'm just really excited about that. So stay tuned, few week break, and we'll be back kind of probably right when our semester's ending. Kick into summer, give us something to help beat our summer blues, devoted, devoting ourselves to, to the show. So until then, let's leave you our last... RWL of our 50th episode for a little while. That was weird syntax. 50th episode RWL, our last one for a few weeks. Because it's our golden anniversary birthday. <laughs> what do you get for 50th an or for golden anniversary? Isn't it like paper or I don't know what you wine mean by glasses? that because the only thing I know about a all I know is a golden birthday and that's the same date as your as your I'm, how old you are. Right. So like if you so mine's forever gone, right? Because I I was twenty four on the twenty fourth. Well, I okay. Hello, Feb three. <laughs> oh yeah, that sucks even more. Yeah, <laughs> I do remember it though. Oh yeah. Oh I, no, I just mean like there's there's anniversary colors. Right. So there's like I silver, think, gold, yeah. and right. you get certain gifts. Yeah, you get me a gold like, ring. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what are you reading and watching and listening to this week? I purchased this book called Peaceful Neighbor, which is about the counterculture of Mr. Rogers. So clearly it's the book that was written for me. Totally. And I stayed up way too late reading it one night. And so I've put it away because it will be a major distraction, but it's my next research project. So I just absolutely love it. I have been watching Killer Mike videos. I have been sleeping on him. I'm not really sure what my problem is, but my students have been doing representational analysis papers and mm -hmm. I take way too long to grade them because then I'm like, well, let me watch the video. And oh, I've never heard of this person. Mm -hmm. And so my student has been telling me about Killer Mike all semester. And then I got super obsessed. And uh, his video, Reagan, is especially very interesting because it was made recently, but is all about Reagan's policies and how they impacted yeah. the black community. And just kind of thinking yeah. through why now? Why is he talking about Reagan now? Then <laughs> I am listening to S-Town, the new 
podcast by Serial mm. and This American Life. It is very This American Lifey. So I just, yeah. it's very white and it's very like, it's all about a working, it's, it's actually about a poor town in Alabama. And mm. I, there's something about This American Life and their, they do it very ethically and respectfully, but there's just something about the sensationalism of going to this town. Mm-hmm. At the same time, their reporting and their interviewing skills are amazing, and I learn yeah. something new every time. And I think their production, how they splice together the episodes, is just genius. And so, it's from a media nerd standpoint, I I just love it. Have you listened to it yet, Rachel? No, not yet. No. Okay, it's like brand new. It just came out a couple yeah. days ago, yeah. and they dumped like five. They dumped like seven. I think they dumped the whole thing. Like instead of waiting week by week they just dumped the whole thing but i'd Mm. actually be interested to hear what you have to say about it as a working class person because they really really dig in to not less you know like i don't want to be insensitive like poverty culture i'm not really sure what to refer to it as but yeah um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll have to listen to it for that reason. I was just having a conversation. I just another thing I should have mentioned about my week is I had like an overdue lunch with a working class femme who I met like on a Facebook group of working class femme women. And we were just talking about like, that exact thing of like people sort of romanticizing poor, white pop. I mean, like, yeah, I think I think it's probably not great to say poverty culture. But I think that's yeah. what happens is that it's it's constructed as like a poverty culture, the same way that we talk about quote unquote black culture, et cetera, and the way that that all all works. So yeah, I'll have to listen to it. I'll be curious. Yeah, there's just sorry, just one last thing that I just want to throw out there yeah. is that I think uh, there's and there's that fine line between taking the time to go and report on a town in Alabama, which usually nobody takes the time Mm -hmm. to do it's Mm -hmm. like there's never any serious time spent in alabama getting to know Mm -hmm. people but at the same time if you're from that culture i don't know what you would get out of it you know so knowing that this american life really targets upper to middle class educated white people white Mm -hmm. people like you have to think about who the typical audience is and it's like Mm -hmm. how are we listening to it versus how would that town be listening to it or somebody Mm -hmm. else Mm -hmm. from a similar cultural background I don't know if they'd find it all that yeah. interesting. They'd be like, "Yeah, that's our town. I'm that's right. what we do." Like, right. I don't, I don't know what the what the music's for. Like the do 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 do. It's just like right. <laughs> so, I, yeah. yeah, I would I, even if you just listen to one episode, even if you listen to the first fifteen minutes, you'll get the sense. And I would love to know. Yeah. Thoughts, so yeah, okay, we should meet, we could we could have a report back on that. That'd be okay. interesting. And you? Cool. I am. For class this past week, I, I need a new book. So I've been reading some like self-healthy stuff before bed, but mm-hmm. I haven't been digging into a book. So and so I'll talk about mo- more interesting what my students read for class this week. There, there was an article about sexting about teen girls, at, like the 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 moral panic that's constructed around teen girls and sexting. Mm-hmm. Sometimes in ways that are like legit because those things get you know if after breakups if boys post these pictures and send them viral and blah blah blah. And how it's actually considered so like nude selfies of people under the age of 18 is considered child pornography no matter what. Mm -hmm. And so actually there are young people that are being put in prison for Mm -hmm. taking those and sharing those, even if it's between one another, Um, like, a you know, really uh, two people in a relationship. So we had this fascinating conversation that on the one hand, like it was within minutes that students were like, yeah, I think I see. I think the author is saying that like these girls are being slut shamed, 
but then like to and like kind of on board with the fact that there's like slut shaming happening and also like victimization happening. But then like three minutes later, there was literally people, some of my students like saying very slut shaming things without, I think, realizing it and being like, they really should know better. Like, I think they need to be more accountable to like who they're sending these pictures to and like should, you know, and it got into this whole thing about how 14 year old girls try to dress like Kylie Jenner and how awful that is. And I was like, well, but like, is it, why is it all, you know, and just, so it was just a fascinating conversation. And the article was good in that it brought up a lot of interesting discussion from my students. So that was that. The same thing happened this week when we were reading about Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. And do any of these arguments sound really similar to like the Black Lives Matter movement? Why this tactic? You know, why the freeway? And then my students were like, yeah, but I mean, if in the 50s they were fighting unjust laws like segregation, you know, what are they fighting if they're on the freeway? You know, and I'm like, you just read, you just read it. You just read Martin Luther King Jr. He's, do you not? Right, I know. I was blown away. I was like, wait a minute. I thought this was going to get, that was like my magic moment where you read Martin Luther King Jr. Like the mic drop and people are like, oh yeah. Yeah, but I think, you know what? It's a little mistimed on my behalf because Black Lives Matter has been not so active lately. And so I think it's been harder to reach into their memories about like what was being talked about. Y'all were having the same exact conversation that Martin Luther King Jr. was having. Like, don't you see? If you're supportive of what he did, how can you not be supportive of what... Well, because, well, because they weren't on the freeway. I'm like, they were on a damn bridge. Yes, they were. Yeah, but that's because (laughs) on the other side of the bridge, there was racist white people. I'm like, well, God damn it. What do you say? We we love you, students, if any of you are listening. And yet, there are moments of frustration. Oh, I love them dearly. It's just, it's more frustration on my teaching moment. It's like, what? how do you fuck this up? I thought this was going to be like (laughs) a shoe-in. A golden moment. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, I'm sorry. Continue, Rachel. No, it's all good. Started to watch the third season of Grace and Frankie, which is that movie or that rather that uh, Netflix show with Lily Tomlin and mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. the gay husbands, the husbands who leave their wives for each other. And so it's Lily Tomlin and um, oh, name Jane Fonda, I think, who are they become friends after their husbands leave them. And it it wants to be good. It's not that good. It, it should be better. But it's interesting to see older women what like their project this this season is creating a vibrator for older women who suffer from arthritis and like uh, tender tissue. Melody's face is like what? What? Um, <laughs> I'm not. Uh, please so save it's me a one. Cool, it's a cool premise because it's like talks about sexuality in in older adults, but the writing is just like not that good. So I don't know. Anyway, watching that. And a podcast I was listening to mentioned the cranberries just sort of in passing. And I was like, I should really listen to the cranberries. So I spent like all yesterday listening to the cranberries and it was fucking amazing because the 90s are the best. Cue Rachel singing the cranberries. I should have done zombie, but I love that intro. I don't want to sing zombie though. Zombie, zombie, (laughs) zombie, a, a. I got a better one. I'm free to decide. I'm free to decide. That was a good one. Nice. Your voice sounds kind of raspy today. It sounds very sexy when you sing the crayons. Thanks. That's because I teach two classes in a row today, including sculpt, where I yell at people. So Namaste! Namaste! (laughs) I still don't, you know, I still don't understand how that's a yoga class, but I support you 
and your yoga labor. I just still don't understand. In the beginning and the end, you start in child's pose and end in shavasana. So I get to oh, like man. talk quietly. So there you go. Anyway, that's it. <laughs> WTF. Power. Bye. Bye. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro. That's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? What was your name? It couldn't have been Smith or Jones or Bunch or Powell. That wasn't your name. They don't have those kind of names where you and I came from. No, what was your name? And why don't you now know what your name was then? Where is your history? How did the man wipe out your history? How did the man, what did the man do to make you as dumb as you are right now? Motherfuckers, I just bought some new chuckers. The old ones bloodied up from stomping out on suckers. Big bad killer, big black gorilla. King Kong on you monkey ass niggas. Step and fetch funky ass, funky ass niggas. Dick in the booty for your mouse ass niggas. I don't fear no man. Not Bush, not Clinton, not Osama. Ask your Uncle Thomas how he choose mouse over Obama. You could have a million dollars and a white collar. Liberation costs more than a damn dollar. It costs what Christ gave. King gave. X gave. A billion dollars don't make you an ex slave. Nigga with an attitude since fifth grade. I'd never behave. I'd rather be a dead man than a live slave. We can say what we like. Put the pressure on me. Ice cube and kill a mic. Put the pressure on me. to deprogram you don't forget what they made your great grandmama do what they made your great granddaddy do without a dollar or a penny or a thank you the same motherfuckers wanna gank you cause they hate you and the pussy that you came through could anybody tell me that it ain't true they have begged for civil rights they have begged the white man for civil rights they have begged the white man for freedom and every time anytime you beg another man to set you free you will never be free Freedom is something that you have to do for yourselves. And until the American Negro lets the white man know that we are really, really ready and willing to pay the price that is necessary for freedom, our people will always be walking around here second-class citizens or what you call 20th century slaves. What price are you talking about, sir? The price of freedom is death. <laughs>